Good evening and welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Tonight we have Brian on. Brian has been in like a ton and ton of bands. You may know him from uh, Dressing Dolls, uh, Nine Inch Nails, Violet Femmes. He plays a billion instruments. If you go to his YouTube page, he's playing everything he has hands on. He's a very strong creative force. So we're going to touch base with him and see what's going on. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to have you. I've been enjoying your work through many of your projects over the years, so it's nice to sit down and have a talk with you. Thank you very much. Well, it's, it's a lovely way to spend this uh, Tuesday Tuesday morning here in L.A. with you. One of, one of my favorite things about you is you're, 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 you are very, very creative. Like, it feels like you're you, not just like in every band because you can't keep a job. You work on these different projects and you keep moving and like, the challenge for you to play different instruments has got to be something that fuels you, right? Like, for instance, Biofems, you're playing on a simple drum set, and then, you know, Dresden Dolls is a little bit more, but then you're, it's more theater, and you're singing more, and then with Nine Inch Nails, you're creating your own, like, just, just mm. never the simple kit, you know, 4-4 thing. Yeah, that's, that's true. So, and you're, and you're kind of wondering, like, where does that come from? for me or uh, yeah, why, yeah. why, why the inclin why the inclination to sort of seek out more diverse, sometimes maybe challenging or uh, left to center kind of projects as opposed to just the kind of like, you know, four on the floor timekeeper kind of gig. Um, I don't know. I guess it comes from, you know, as a young kid, maybe having a kind of an interest or a bend in things that were, you know, more sort of animated or uh, theatrical in certain kind of ways, you know, definitely being a big, you know, Warner brothers cartoon fan and Disney fan and Muppet fan when I was like four or five, six years old, you know, that has like, you know, that sort of, you know, and maybe even sort of, you know, <laughs> WWF wrestling and BMX bikes and like all the, all the stuff that, you know, like you look at and you go like, damn, this is like this larger than life kind of like fantastical, amazing world that, you know, as you grow older and, you know, mature and, you know, you sort of find yourself in your own interests as a teenager and a young adult, and whatever, and you're carving out more of like, maybe if you have like a, a deeper artistic pursuit and, um, a desire to express these things. Yeah. I found that like uh, music that incorporates some of those more wildly creative and performative elements. That's, that's very much where I come from. And what, what I looked up to when I was a kid, even, you know, like in the, my most impressionable years growing up in the late eighties, I was surrounded by performance rock. You know, it was like, not this like underplayed shy wallflower shoegaze. I'll just stare at the floor while I do my thing whatever it was like people lump you know jumping and leaping and you know looking like they're just having the time of their lives drummers included and especially drummers that my father uh introduced me to you know john bonham and keith moon and mitch mitchell and corky lang and you know all the you know amazing drummers of, of that era of music that he grew up listening to that was like highly performative music and yeah and i guess i have a, a pretty eclectic taste in music too my um path of the the things that have attracted me musically like you know whether it's one week i'm listening to doing some deep dive on hank williams and the next week it's like you know calypso music and then the next week it's like mozart opera just to, you never really quite know and i've heard a lot of other people say this too that there's like there's some higher thing that oftentimes drives your creative pathway and things like that but it's always been for me related to something that i want to learn and apply 
to my playing or something that I feel that I can learn that'll catch my interest. So that leads me in a lot of different ways, very directly with the groups that I work with. Do you know what I mean? If I had a more narrow, yeah, I just like to keep time and play four on the floor and just kind of be in the background on that side. But I love to get, kind of get my hands dirty and get the dirt like under my fingernails with projects too. everything from the, the songwriting and the production, you know, right up to the stage show and the aesthetic of the bands and stuff that I work with, too. So that's that's always been attractive to bands that really create their own world and something that I can see myself really being a part of. That's kind of a treat because I think, and like you watch the fans generation, I'm 50. So like, I'm a big fan of the 60s and 70s performance rock and stuff. And during the shoegaze time, there's some good artists, but there was a um, an energy. There was something that was missing, you know, and, and how that reflects upon kids that grew up at the time. We'll see. Hopefully, I think some of actually have gone back now to the others, you know. Yeah, well, things always have this kind of like pendulum kind of like effect too, where it's, you well, know, every 10, 12 years, something ways. drops out of the bottom. But like the 60s, yeah. 70s, and 80s, they were still knocking it differently. It's just like the mm-hmm. 90s went totally crazy for rock. Completely, but, you know. But what's interesting is a lot of artists want to do a lot of different things when you talk to them, even if they're in like what you think would be a normal band, they just get locked in that situation. And a lot of fans are wanting to like, you know, your families, you might have somebody that's, I only like you in the Dresden Dolls, or I only like you when you do this. Mm-hmm. but most artists are like i like everything you know yeah, or right. like i like you know that's how you are like i know that's how i am it's like i listen to it like you know my phone has every group on like it's ridiculous you know you know and, and the yeah. more diverse it is the better it is in fact it's so yeah. different i don't listen to sometimes because i don't know what mood i'm in it's, it's almost overwhelming i wish i could be boring well you kind of you hit it on the head right you know there's the the artwork that we seek out oftentimes it we're multifaceted creatures. So we're going to have a lot of different sides to us that respond to different types of music and, and art and stimulus in that kind of way. So if I'm lucky enough to be in the position where I get to actually work with people who I find, you know, very creatively stimulating, that's going to lead me in a lot of directions too. And I could very easily have kind of pigeonholed myself too and been like the punk cabaret guy that just plays with kind of like quirky you know, you could have done, you could have done, a, you could have like done a certain thing, but you, but because you diversified at the time, like there's a lot of other other artists that are fantastic, you know, so like yeah. rock guy, but they're like, oh, he, you know, they feel like, oh, I really like to do a funk album. I really like this. You're like, no, you're the rock guy that does, you know, this. You, yeah, you, you're so much garbage. You could probably, they, they can't do it, but there's a certain like built-in legacy yeah. from the beginning of you. You're just kind of like a tree where it's like the branches are everywhere. Well, it's not everywhere. It's in the very specific branches that are meaningful to me, which are, there are many, but yeah. Like they're out, like your branches are out to so many places. Yeah. That it's hard to pigeonhole you and be like, well, that's his sound. Yeah. I'm saying, whereas some bands just have like, it's like, it's like a a pole, like a utility pole. Like (laughs) they're a rock band. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've got a lot of um, avenues to, to choose from without being locked in. Yeah, for sure. And it, there's and like in a third variation of that that I've seen is that there there's like the tree with the many branches that are just sort of like, you know, the drummers who are like rock, pop, jazz and Latin. Like, you know what I mean? Like whatever that would like the best polls. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of yeah. like where it's this kind of like it's so undefined in such a general application. For me, it's like there's kind of like the sort of three or four maybe like main branches for me where there's definitely the kind of like performative streak, whether that is like more aligned with the kind of Dresden Dolls or performance rock kind of oriented and cabaret theatrical kind of thing. Then there's definitely like the kind of punk and metal side to me, which was a huge part of my growing up as a kid. And then um, definitely like the kind of jazz and improvisational element, which is that's a really crucial 
um, component to any kind of collaboration or band that I'm in is that there's that element of freedom within the group, in particular in a live situation, to really sort of stretch out and spread and be creative and make the most of the moment. Do you know what I mean? So it's like those are kind of like the qualities, you know, and you could maybe even say like a um, a fourth branch of that would be to me an artist that likes to really speak their message through to me what sounds like a very uh, kind of unique and unorthodox take on the music rather than people that kind of like just want to do a kind of cookie cutter uh sort of safe easily branded kind of marketable thing i like i like people with a very adventurous spirit and adventurous attitude towards their art so those are kind of like the five main qualities right you know it's 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 definitely you know between a spot where you could have made yourself more commercial off off to some of the, the artists you've done during certain times too yeah. So it's definitely an artistic choice you've taken. You know, you well, definitely follow yeah. your muse. Yeah. And I, and you know, it's funny you mentioned that because there were opportunities um, that came up, especially in the time when I was, you know, very closely uh, connected with Roadrunner records when the dolls were kind of right. at their height, where like when I left Dresden dolls, there were a few bands where, you know, the A&R people came my way and they, Hey, these guys are looking for a drummer. These guys. And it was really, you know, I gave it the, college try but i was just like this is not music that i relate to and yes this band is technically huge and i only have made that mistake once where i took a gig just because it was like a gig and i wanted to work and the music didn't particularly like turn me on that much but i was like well it's okay and there's like this and this and this about it and I found that for myself, and I've met plenty of like just session people that are like, it doesn't make any difference to me, man. Just give me the guitar or the stage and I'm like, I'm good to go. I don't, I don't care. Whatever y'all want to do is fine with me. And I'm way too invested to feel like that. And I tried and tried and tried and just found that I was like not ever going to be happy creatively in this particular capacity. Super nice people, very fun tours, mm-hmm. what have you. But I was just like, I can't, I have to stick to what really feels right and true. And, and it gives me a sense of connection creatively and artistically, not just to the people, but to the music itself and what it's expressing. Otherwise I, you know, I'd rather work with a lot of sort of smaller groups and up and comers than just try to go for the big kind of thing like that. And I consider myself extremely lucky that I think 99% of the projects I've been involved with have been that. So it's a good, you have, good situation. It's literally interesting when you've approached them. I'm clearly, and that's what I'm saying. So the point is like when you came and they say, all right, you did Dresden Dolls for a little bit and we'll go back and forth. I don't really have a format. And then you use a smaller kit, smaller you singing. And then they're like, all right, come on in and do, um, and I'm skipping probably the timeline around, but you're like the Violent Femmes, which is a, a very stripped down sound. Yeah, it's, it's very much of a different question. Before it's like you and Amanda, you got family, you got your relationships up and down, but it's a dynamic. Now you're kind of starting, you're doing like a new family. It's like, it's like instead of doing yeah. like um, big rock bands coming, you come into bigger rock bands, you're almost coming into like small family businesses, which has its own hairy dynamic. I'm not saying file films, I mean, but we work for a small, yeah. <laughs> well, there's, small there's, business, there's plenty of dynamics to play in every group like that. To work for. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you're the new kid a lot coming in with your, and you, you've got your own, you know, supernova creativity coming in. So it's always got to be a challenge yeah. to, to drive you yeah. to join this. What kind of freedom are you having coming into these projects? Are they like, they know who they got? Are they bringing you in? To, you know, to, yeah, I would say in a general sense, people decide to want to ask me to collaborate with them because of certain pretty obvious qualities, my sort of energy and exuberance and, you know, willingness to participate in a group context, probably being 
one of the, you know, the main ones aside from, you know, the fact that maybe they like how I play and, um, and certain things and, and what I, you know, demonstrate in their opinion, you know, on stage or in the studio and stuff like that. I like to be really hands-on with the people that I work with, but in the, in the case of Violent Femmes, that, that was also like a very specific context to come into. Um, both. So it made sense on paper, you know, though, because if you look at. 100%. Yeah. One of the few people that play a, a huge drum sound on a smaller set setup. And yeah. And, 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 right. and be creative in that energy, in that genre. So on a small shortlist, you'd be somebody, you know. Well, yeah. And, um, and it was fortunate too, because, you know, I was a huge fan of that group growing up and that music was certainly in my DNA, right, yeah. but it was also really interesting there were a lot of really exciting challenges across the board. The first obviously being in that playing on that very unorthodox kind of like drum setup, which is a whole history as to why that setup is the way it is, which we don't need to go in depth now, but um, they did arrive at that more minimal setup, which right. was cool. It gave the band an incredibly distinctive character. And so that's what I came in to basically continue that legacy of what Victor De Lorenzo so beautifully started with, with both Brian and Gordon. And um, I was able to kind of lend, you know my sort of like minor sort of additions to the setup of that playing with only the snare drum um what they called the transophone which was a 14 inch floor tom with an inverted uh metal bushel basket placed over it uh to be used as sort of like that like a hi-hat and 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 the sort of like ribbed edge could be used because i get this kind of weird raking percussive kind of sound and um and obviously playing with metal brushes on the thing gave it a really just unique kind of character and then i had a 16 inch floor tom so actually has a lot of that calypso (laughs) you know it into it yes found found folk art music and uh (laughs) and you know a couple of cymbals and a little tambourine and stuff like that too but then having being so used to having my foot to really drive the downbeat on the kick drum so then now is working with john sparrow who is um playing cajon and he was really the downbeat. And I remember it was like that. That was a very, you know, interesting time because let's just say there was one dynamic before I was in the band with John that maybe put him a little bit more in a feeling of uncertainty with his place within the group. And when I joined, I was like, come on, man, we're a section now. Let's like, let's do this, you know, saddle up because like we're I'm, I need you and we're going to fucking work together on this. And so that was great. And that opened up, there's a whole drum solo section in the song black girls that John and I would sort of trade off with. And I love it. You know, I, I'm not the kind of person where it's like, wait, 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 step back. It's my time. Where's the spotlight? Like I love to be part of a group. So to play with another percussionist, that was both really exciting and totally new for me in, in a lot of ways to do like, you know, several years of touring like that. Um, and then to, yeah, and then to have like a whole different array of sounds and approach how I'm going to perform. And like you said, get the same energy and punch without having the main component of that kicking, you know, bass drum to drop those bombs with too. So it's like, you're really working sort of symbiotically with another person within that group to really form that mind meld and sort of be with each other. But I love that. It's exactly what I love to do with Amanda and Dresden Dolls too, is to form that sort of group cohesion. So that was a great chance to do that. That is a super thing because it really shows how you are as a drummer. And like an outside, like outside rock reference to other people watching would be like the challenge of coming and doing that is kind of like if they saw like um, Motley Crue when um, uh, the Tommy Lee, you know, upside down drums, crazy, crazy. But then he did the TV show and he, he's trying to I mean, see the clip on YouTube where he's trying to join the drum squad at college and yeah. he couldn't make it at first. 
But meanwhile, yeah. there's you know Moscow's raving about him. He's he's you know going a maniac drummer. There's different levels of drumming for different things. Oh God, yeah. So, but I'm saying, but for people that aren't drummers, and I know very little about drumming, it's it's a huge thing to jump into a situation like that, like you did. I mean, and it could be exciting too on a level because it's like that doesn't happen all the time, and it's not like drummers that can you know make that change. Yeah, well, and believe me, I'm the first to admit that there would be a lot of context for me to probably jump into as a drummer, where I'd be like, oh boy, I'm way like out of my depth. Right, right, right. You know, so right, but yeah, no, you're exactly right. So it's knowing this, A, if for all musicians out there, the name of the game is being prepared. Like, that's why people say, like, practice your rudiments and do your homework and like, get good at your fundamentals so that you have some kind of sporting chance if some interesting opportunity arrives. From there, you develop like the most important, I think, you know, sort of group is uh, attribute is being able to really listen. You need to develop your ears and ne- learn how to listen to the musicians that you're playing with. That is a massive component of, I think, all the bands that I play with, uh, in particular, you know, Dresden Dolls and, and um, Radiator King and Violent Femmes and, and that sort of thing is that element of like, you're not just tuned out in your own little world, noodling away, whatever. You're like right there with the band listening to each other. So those two things, you know, and obviously it helped that I, you know, had been a fan and was familiar with, you know, a general swath of their music and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it also, I mean, it was, you know, new for them too. They didn't really know how I was going to be. I remember I was like a little too exuberant. I used to get so hyped playing Give Me the Car that I remember on our first (laughs) Australian tour. And I was just like, you know, because to me, People might look at me and be like, this dude needs to take a large dose of chill and just relax. But music is is such a powerful outlet to me and to so many people, too. And I, again, came up with that area where it's like you celebrate the release. And so having the opportunity to play a song that I love, like Give Me the Car on stage at the Femmes. And I was like just going for it. And I like at one point in like the breakdown section, I like kicked my snare drum over and it sort of freaked Gordon out. And he came to me after the show and was like, what are you not getting enough attention over there? And I was like, Oh wow. No, he's like completely misreading this. He thought I was doing that to like, be like, well, look at me. And I was just like, yeah. I know. I'm like, I, I fucking love you guys. And I love this band. And I'm just like in it that I'm like, that's what's kind of flowing out of me. So in a way that was like, you know what I'm saying? It was like, <laughs> the wedding video, I was like doing that thing with that thing. Well, no, because that dude's really showboating. I know I'm saying, but I'm saying that's what he thought it was. It was pretty funny. He thought that, yeah, he, he, he thought it was, and I was just like, no, cause he's not looking at it. He's not looking at it going like, yeah, I know this is some classic shit. We wrote up pretty fucking red. He's just like doing his thing. And, and to a certain degree, those guys were feeling sort of like, maybe this is like a little rote at this point for them. They needed some freshness to kind of come well, back. I, mean, I think you think fresh blood probably really helped help give it uh, some life to the band. Yeah, it definitely did. And Helping they were the first relationships. Ones. Well, yeah, you know what I mean? And I wanted to really specifically communicate to them that I was like, absolutely sort of like fresh for this. I was not coming in with any kind of preconceived notions other than that. I wanted to see that project succeed. And so I dove in and the funny thing was that 
I found myself in a similar situation when I joined Violent Femmes that I do when I join any number of sort of like up and coming bands where I was like helping them get like their social media. I consolidated all their fan Facebook pages and got them a band run Facebook page and later an Instagram page so that we could put out band announcements. We put together like a merchandising team for like old people that were involved with the Dresden Dolls. We got like t-shirts printed up, told them about record store day. Kind of was like going like, all right, I know you guys have been like kind of, they hadn't really worked together since about 2000. It had been about 13 or 14 years at the time that I joined since Violent Femmes had their last like blowout fight in the studio recording this like Gnarls Barkley cover. Do you know what I mean? It, this is like yeah. all public. Every, a lot, a lot, everyone no, knows I, that I, there was I, like a lot of stuff that happened. So, but my, yeah. you dig what I'm saying? So it was like they were kind of coming back into this a little bit and rightfully so a little cautious, a little, you know, wary of like things spinning out of control, you know, because like whatever tensions can flare and they were just like really put, they put a lot of trust and faith in themselves and in me as the new guy that we could like maintain a balance enough to get some decent work done. They, they were also in a weird spot coming in. You know, they needed it because they were competing against just, they were dealing with their old legacy. They're always going to deal with their old legacy the album. Their yeah. one huge album is always going to be like, it's always going to be like, I wish they would do that one. So they're always going to be in that one spot where, you know, their best is always going to be compared on such a level that a lot of bands don't get, you usually get it, but not to that level. That's yeah. You know, so and then getting back together and then having old issues because of, you know, touring, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. coming in fresh and doing new music and bringing new life into it, you know, music is healing. It's, it's, it's like a, it's a creative force. So that's what I was talking to. Yeah. I think it was great when you came in because I think it gave them yeah. fresh breath. And I think that's why they're still doing stuff, you know, and. Yeah. Which is, which is great to see, you know what I mean? So, you know, I, w- I wish all those guys and, and I feel fortunate too that, throughout the different you know bands that i've come in and out of um i've been lucky enough to like basically maintain like pretty good relationships with people you know, even even when things like hit sort of like a rocky point and 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 that kind of thing so and i'm glad to see the bands at like world inferno friendship society too i played with those guys for a couple of years and that when that was when they were kind of hitting um an interesting low where members were like they were losing members and sort of momentum was kind of slowing so rejoining that it's nice to get to work with people when you feel this, excuse me, like sort of a sense of like uh, camaraderie and like, all right, let's get this thing going. Let's get this thing off the, I guess I thrived with that. I mean, I got like kind of addicted to that feeling in, with my experience with the Dresden Dolls, with Amanda. It's just so exhilarating. It's like almost even at times kind of like even more fun than like just the moment the, of success like where you can look up and come you're like one of those guys that does those tv shows they come in they you're like um what's that guy you know talking about it's like now no, gordon ramsey is the nice super the guy the other also guy comes in the, the boss the whatever the kitchen boss yeah, yeah exactly yeah you right come exactly. In, you're like the yeah, i'm telling you the tech or whatever before in the studio and afterwards you take your wig off you're like telling me why you're here you know the things are wrong in the meeting yeah well, we'll see. I'll That's talk to the show. producers. That's a new show. Yeah, band. Uh... Hilarious band boss. We're, we're going to do it. <laughs> Sign me <laughs> up. That's yep. awesome. But so, with all these things you're doing, it feels like you're almost like this. Like you're, you're, you're you know, everything we do in life for most of us that we can, you want to always keep building off of it. And all these different projects you're doing, you're you're strengthening your skills. Like I said, and you've got a lot now because you've been doing so many things. It feels almost like you're preparing to be ready to do like this super album with a super group of like. I've never heard of this before because the percussion goes here. Like it feels like you have so many different things now in your tool belt that you've done. Yeah. That you're building well, up. 
Yeah, some. I mean, I I don't know. I, I won't. I certainly won't try to like overstate it. And be like, look at the amazing, insane career. No, I mean, there's like in, in, people in, with like interesting artistic point of view. You have a lot of different angles that you can present something. You know. Yeah, like definitely. So you know, the, the, how did you come about having to build your own um, percussion when you did uh, Ghost with uh, with Trent? That was a really fun thing too, and that actually kind of built off of. Um, That's what I'm saying. It feels, it's another piece. It feels it's very creative. It's very. Yeah. And that actually came out of um, well bits and pieces of stuff that I had done way back in the day, early days with Dresden Dolls. A, you know, kind of wanting to, you know, I'd been a, a fan of instruments that I know about and stuff like that and all their weird kind of industrial mm-hmm. kind of stuff like that. And so wanting to incorporate um, a lot of those found materials. Basically what happened was, you know, the Dresden Dolls, we had done 31 shows with Nine Inch Nails in 2005 which was an incredible experience to see just how that production ran. So off the back of that, I wound up getting um, an email was, from Trent how, in 2007. How, how was the audience reacting to that? Because it seemed different. You know what I'm uh, saying? Yeah, well, I tell you, this harsh contrast is when we did the tour the following year with Panic at the Disco. And those kids yeah. fucking hated us. They were like, what the hell is this arty farty bullshit? They just they had no use for us whatsoever. Our, our fans were getting like in fist fights and stuff like that. It was like really bizarre. The Nine Inch Nails crowd, much to our you know uh, delight, was far more open. And we wound up like tripling the size of our fan base from that tour. We found a very sympathetic and open, intelligent, excited audience that was like, hmm, not what we're expecting, but this is interesting. All right, keep going, you two. What is this? You know, and people seem to really find some, because that definitely came from a similar world. So that was like a very encouraging experience doing that Nine Inch Nails tour. We owe Trent Reznor a lot for that. that, Especially back then, we were very very opening and very empathetic towards the world. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you guys, you know, Amanda's lyrics were also very open to the world, you know? Yeah. So I think that that this was very similar point too, not sonically maybe as much, but lyrically, there was very much of a a empathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Well, it's music, A, for short, like created by people who were, I think, felt themselves to be outsiders. So automatically you're getting all these kind of unconscious boxes getting checked going like, yep, 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 yep. Freak, 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 weirdo, 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 weirdo. Like, you know, so that was, you know, I think probably on the table um, pretty blatantly and stuff. So that wound up being a, a very good pairing in that way. So building off of that, and I, you know, I would during the solos or whatever, you know, moments of the show, I was incorporating Nine Inch Nails drum parts. I would play the like the drum beat from Eraser off the downward spiral, like in the half jack opening solo or whatever, various things. And Amanda, there was points when Amanda would jump up from her piano and come over and start smashing my drum kit with my China cymbal. And like, I mean, it was like pretty off the hook. But um, Trent obviously saw something that he enjoyed about the band and from what I was told about my drumming. So I got an invitation in the fall of 2007 to come out. And it was really interesting speaking with him on the phone because he basically was trying to reimagine um, Nine Inch Nails and in particular the live show where he kind of said, I'd like to develop like a musical suite with kind of movable components that I can shift around night to night during the show to keep things a little bit more fresh. He said, I want to kind of up the level of the musicianship. I'm sort of like I've had my years of doing like angry guys, like smashing gear on stage. That was all kinds of fun, but I want to do something different now. So the idea behind Ghosts was really to basically improvise and come up with all these various soundscapes, which then they later took on tour 
on the Lights in the Sky tour, they wound up playing one of the compositions that I wrote with them. Uh, I think it was Ghost 19. And Josh Fries is there playing a lot of the percussion, like the Poland Spring water bottles. And there's a little percussion station set up where Trent is banging on shit with hammers and chains and whatever. And that was pretty exciting to see because there was like 60 tracks or something like on that first Ghost thing. So the fact that they took one of the ones I worked on, that was a kind of exciting thing to see them uh implement that live as he had been saying from you know that fall 2007 like about a year and a half later or whatever it was well especially it's a song it's kind of got a lot, got a lot to, it's not like someone's gonna pick it up and you're gonna walk by and see him on a tree with an yeah. acoustic guitar singing that song that's yeah that's, well that's, you know that's a commitment you know? to learn that song with the whole <laughs> our show you know what i'm saying it's not like you know we yeah. sit down and we're gonna strum it out a little thing i did he yeah it was great it's so and it was so basically the way that it worked when i got to his studio was he said, all right, you know, I thought like a fun art project for the day would be to have you build a drum kit out of whatever you want. And then we'll improvise later tonight. I was like, cool. And he's like, go, you're free. I'm going to be in the room mixing today. Go with Brett and get whatever stuff you want. So I went to SIR rehearsal studios and got a kick drum and three snare drum stands. And then I went to Home Depot and got a bunch of like aluminum metal and chains and wood dowels and weird stuff. And then I came back to his house and I scavenged around his home where he had been doing a bunch of remodeling. And that's where I got that huge 50 gallon galvanized like trash can and like weird mallets. And man, he had every kind of instrument from like sitar to like, you know, your like most basic guitar pedal in, you know, pianos and, and upright basses and just just a, just open like floor space, just covered with instruments and stuff like that, just to be on hand. So that was really cool. And I so I wound up building this weird kind of junk drum kit. And like what, like I was saying with the Dresden dolls, one of the things I had made back in 2002 was this kind of percussion tray with like an, excuse me, with like an upturned, um, splash symbol that I had bolted a length of chain into to kind of get this like a very hard kind of grinding sound. So I basically took that idea, built a snare drum out of like a cookie sheet with a length of chain on it and et cetera, et cetera. And later that night they said, okay, we're going to give you a click in the headphones. And Trent said to me, play whatever comes into your head, trying to make it sound like a hippie drum circle, but just go, you have total freedom. Just go do your thing. And I was like, you got it boss. So I just went in the room and in came the click kind of like a sort of medium slow tempo and really the only preparation I had done because I, it was such a general kind of like, Hey, why don't you just come out and we'll fuck around and see what happens kind of thing was like, well, let me just like listen really kind of like what kind of beats in groups like that wind up on his records. What are the kind of rhythms and sounds that turn him on? And I realized that he's got this real kind of like funk, almost kind of like Prince influenced kind of thing at least you know uh no like funk like like prince like kiss like slow deep okay yeah like there's a lot of like sex and swagger in nine inch nails beats they're slinky do you know what i mean it's not like it's all that there are moments like that for sure but that was kind of a interesting perspective to listen to his music at least up until you know 2006 at that point of the kind of stuff so i just kind of tried to improvise grooves like within that realm and i came back in the room and he said great sounds great beats go do some more so i went back in the room and i did another few minutes and then the next day sat there with alan Mulder and atticus ross and we were like they started mixing and i was like sitting there in this kind of dazed dream like holy shit state or like i can't this is amazing like my drumming's winding up on like this weird experimental nine inch nails record and i got to say something about it we like because i was like 
it was a really exciting chance in a way because it wasn't just like, all right, well, here, just sit down at a four piece drum kit. He was like, go yeah. build something bizarre and just let your mind go free on it. And so I thought to myself, all right, well, if I have any kind of say of like, what am I, was my input going to be with a Nine Inch Nails record? I want to bring that shit back to some old school industrial grindy banging some fucking metal shit together. And that's exactly what wound up. And they wound up taking that on tour. So that was that's completely amazing. fucking it's amazing. amazing. You can come up with sounds that day because I imagine there's a lot of bad sounds. You hit certain stuff. Not everything sounds good when it's metal. You hit it. You're like, yeah. you're like, oh, nobody should hear that again. You, you, know? you know what I mean? To be able to take that and then build it and put it together and sound good and then do it like the turnaround to make something that like that, that creatively work. Yeah. That quickly too is kind of amazing. Well, you know, and, it, and their mic setup was super simple and those sounds are like not really affected. Like they're, they basically had two PZM contact mics on the wall and that's it. Like that's how they captured my drum performance. And then they kind of edited like to the length of the thing. But I was basically completely unaware, unbeknownst to me, Adrian Ballou had been in from King Crimson, had been in the week before and laid down this like wall of insane guitar noise. So then I heard this beat that I was playing and then they dumped in all of Adrian's like guitar chaos and it was like oh man this is like insane so it was just really fascinating just to see i mean it's very quiet it's almost like being in a library in a way like atticus they're kind of typing away and editing yeah. away and alan moeller sort of like thinking in my and trent is like doing 10 million things on his laptop and whatever stuff like that and they're just like making these incredible records together and stuff and uh so to you know to be part of that process and see that up close having been an inquisitive fan going like wow i wonder what it's like uh, it was incredible, you know, and they're, they're a really solid team and not last, but not least like Alessandro uh, Cortini, who is Trent's kind of like right-hand man and um, uh, sort of synth guy and, you know, studio uh, collaborator uh, for many years was there too. And he was a, like a big part of the process too. So it was, it was great to see that meeting of the minds on that. What at that time was a pretty, you know, groundbreaking record. That was the year 2007 and eight when both nine inch nails and radio had released their first like crowdfunded or pay what you want albums Radiohead put out in rainbows and nine inch nails released ghosts as this kind of like multi-tiered thing. That's when he had broke from the record label. So that was a, you know, and that and ghost got nominated for a Grammy for uh, like packaging or something like that too, which was like really cool. Cause that was an incredible, like the deluxe edition of that record was amazing. So, you know, that was really exciting to be part of that. He's, he's, he's really, I think he's underrated also as a producer. I think there's levels that he's got. Like, you're like, where'd you get that from? Like, where'd you just, you know, sounds yeah. and stuff. He's, he's on the level, you know, that yeah, without people kind of just put him out. He, he's a guy from Nine Nails that did, you know, you're like, no, 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 no. Like in the studio, what he does is just, it's like another job, you know, it's just totally different. Yeah. Um, Trent, Trent has great ears too. Like, and I love like the dynamic range goes everything from just sounds like a, like a screaming jet engine down to like whisper quiet, just like, you know, dragging like a hair across a fucking mouse's nose or something, you know, whatever. It's just like the itsy bitsiest, quiet, most delicate thing. Sort of to find somebody in that kind of electronic and aggressive music realm that knows right. how to it explore feels, those colors is really to cool. To me, his sounds feel, and I say it's in a good way, it feels intimate and it feels dry not 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 like a lot of overly echoey reverb at some points it's very dry it's very in effect you're right there you hear it's like but it's not overdone yeah you know right uh, and it's very close to you you know screaming or like i said the, the dynamic still together 
Right. Um, so how could but, I not be attracted to like working with projects like in that kind of thing? Like, right. that's what I mean. People that have that X factor, it's like, I've got about like 75% ish of the idea, if that, of like what I want to do, how do we fill in the rest? That's like, you want me in a band, man, that's going to be like the hook. That's going to be like, you know, and like, I want to help figure that out and be a part of that process. That's where like the fun is. Cause it also sets you free to like completely cut loose. And you notice time and time again, we see all of the chains and limitations and sort of inhibitions that we lay on ourselves. You know, you get into the studio with people and it's like, part of it is almost like being like a psychologist. You see where people feel afraid to express themselves, afraid to embrace their own power, afraid to fail, afraid to try something and look foolish. And it's amazing being able to strip all of that shit layer by layer away. So you get to the point of somebody with a creative seed of an idea that nothing is standing in the way of it. You just charge forth fearlessly, but with know-how and with intention. And you create this incredible thing together that didn't exist before. You bring it into being. So that's, again, you sort of go like, why does Brian wind up in all these kind of weird bands? That's why that's a hugely attractive. Or not, not you specifically. No, you know what I'm saying? Like, why, why am I not just playing in like whatever standard band X? Because that's a hugely important part of the process for me. And I, and I love on a personal level, seeing other human beings experience that. It's so joyful and so exhilarating, you know? It's evident watching it. You, you, that's it's either your creative force or you're in the witness relocation program for musicians, and they got to keep moving around for your own safety. But I'm, I'm only the first one. You know, that, that's uh-huh. what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that being said, and, and then now we're, the past years, but not really a kind of a lockdown. But it's also been a, another creative time. You've been doing a lot of creative different projects, and, um, and then where is this happening? The Dresden dolls are getting their machine ready. You guys are kind of getting ready to do something. Where you at with Dresden Dolls and your other projects you're doing, like everything, like, you know, take it apart. Well, so um, I'll start with uh, basically my life in short from COVID was don't cry, get your shit together. That was my mantra. So I was like, all right, lockdown, fine. That's reality. I'm not, there's nothing I'm going to do. Like go like, poor me. It's like, everybody is in this fucking boat. So the first fucking thing I did mentally was go, what do I need to make my home set up better? So I got a new little webcam. Hopefully this looks good. And a few little studio, like outboard gear and sort of programs to help me with music editing and recording. And then started basically just putting the word out there. And via social media, when I get a project, I like to sort of film the process for people too, because in a way I feel like that's kind of like emboldens them to go like, all right, well, this guy that he's working with or girls working with doing it, whatever, blah, blah. Maybe I can like actually do something and maybe I'll write to Brian and like, we can do a project. And it's amazing to see like the amount of people that were like, yeah, I don't need to like sweat this. Let me get creative. Like get bust out my guitar, bust out my piano, whatever. And he's good before you know it, all, all these different projects start rolling in and that then begets more creative work. So that's an exciting thing for people to see, not to feel beat down by a situation, but take charge of it and do something for themselves. Then I had basically been soliciting my friend, Adam Silvestri, who is in New York for many years, like myself. I was like, try this Los Angeles deal because things on the East coast have gotten pretty difficult. If you're like in an up and coming band, like the whole pay to play thing has gotten a lot more difficult blah, blah, blah. So I found that for myself, I had found a really 
uh, generous and embracing community out here of super supportive, like, you know, people that go to shows, everybody who's in bands is very willing to help each other out and that kind of thing. So I was saying like, Adam, it's been going pretty well for me. And if you want to keep Radiator King going, try relocating out. Because he was feeling sort of like at wit's end with his situation. So he moved out to Los Angeles in January. And from there, I was like, let's get a band together with some new members and set a date and go do a live stream. So we put a band together with my friend um, Alex Burke, amazing keyboard player who just did a Bob Dylan's live stream for his 80th birthday, which was amazing. And um, my friend Art Santora. Art was a guy, I say my friend, I literally met the guy two months ago. I went up to a session at El Dorado studio where my friend Kalen was recording. Art was assistant engineering. I chatted with Art for about three fucking minutes. And I was like, hey man, what's up? Yeah, my name is Brian. Yeah, I'm friends with Kalen. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, you work here too? Cool. Like, what do you do? Oh, I'm in a band. I play like nine instruments, including like dobro and slide guitar and pedal steel and bass and blah, blah. I was like, hey, I'm putting a band together. It's called Radiator King. We're doing a live stream. Um, do you want to like join the band? And he's like, yeah, I'm totally game. What kind of, I was like, awesome. So I put him in touch with Adam. This is, I'm seriously, man, within about five minutes, I went outside for just a quick, like, breath of fresh air, chatted with Art, went back in, texted Adam, put those two in touch. Both of those were like, then they were both kind of Boston guys too. So they, it was like, oh, you listen to Converge? Oh, you used to hang out at this one and blah, blah, blah. Amazing. So the four of us got together, basically said, like, let's get um, a live stream happening. Alex had a connection at the legendary East West studios where, you know, Frank Sinatra and the Rolling Stones and the Beach Boys recorded pet sounds and all that kind of stuff. So we booked a room there and did a live stream on my birthday this year, learned like a 45 minute set and those the band crushed. It was awesome. And it was so fun. And all of a sudden, Adam is going, not just Adam, but even Art now, it's like, it feels so good to have regular band practice again. And Blah, 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 blah. So that was exciting. And since then, the Radiator King live stream live from East West is getting ready to go up August 18th on Spotify and all the digital uh, mediums. And um, we're going to be recording some new songs with Ted Hutt, uh, I think, for this fall, which is great. So, you know, it's it's amazing to be back in like a fully functional working like for people contributing. And we've also flipped the script on the way that we work traditionally people would just learn the songs that Adam wrote. What Ted has now been saying was like, that's great, but you guys have been there and done that. And now that you've got these four creative minds in the band start completely fresh. And so Adam's just going to start bringing in his lyric book and we're just going to start writing music fresh together with everybody. We've already like pushed the boundaries of like where the music generally comes from. Adam was very, um, I think used to the, the kind of template of writing from a kind of like bluesy Americana kind of standpoint and we're pushing that like far far past the boundaries of just kind of cowboy chords and, and things like not not that that was strictly that's what it was but that's very much where his songwriting would start and now we're just absolutely starting from like where where are the lyrics and the emotional um sort of like space coming from and how can we surround and support that with music so this is again a really kind of adventurous time you know for wow. me in terms of like creatively then on top of that i've been um teaching all kinds of like online and in-person drum lessons, which has been wonderful. So thankfully to all the, uh, you know, Zoom and Skypes out there, it's like I've been able to have lessons with people in Europe and Australia and England and it's, you know, and all across the United States, which has been beautiful. I love teaching drums. And again, too, like, uh, especially oftentimes working with kids is really fun too, because that sense of freedom in, in play is, is so prominent. And to see somebody feel proud of themselves for progressing and, and things like that is, is really energy is very captivating too. So I'm sure it's very inspiring for somebody starting out. 
And it, well, yeah. And it keeps you keeps me certainly like on my toes. I started working about six or eight months ago with a drum student uh, named Robert, who is only 10 and had never really played drums before. And it was great. So we were, I was sort of like, we were like telling stories and like punctuating the stories with drummings. And I wasn't like, okay, you have to hold it like that. You have to hold it like that. Cause I hated that stuff when I was that age too. It like, it was, that made me have an adverse reaction to drumming when my father at first, when I was like six or seven, it was like, all right, hold it like this and do just that. No, not like that, like this. And I was like, this kid just needs to have some fun. And now we, he's playing songs and we're playing car songs. He actually, Robert was like, <laughs> requested to play Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up on the last. And it was hilarious, hilarious. <laughs> and he was drumming right along to that beat, man, stuff like that. So it's like, you know, we're playing all kinds of music together. So that's great. You know, see kids' minds open up and we're playing, you know, the cars and Rage Against the Machine and all right. kinds of like music across the board. Um, and, and so, and then beyond there tying in with like the online and remote learning has been the influx of, uh, just independent recording projects. So that's what I try to post on social media too. So people can see a bit of the process. Maybe they feel a little bit more of like an inroad. And to, we will put everyone is watching we'll all the, all the links from all of your shows, all your projects underneath so they can go individually and kind of check out all these things out. Cool. Thank and you so much. Your link through YouTube, your Instagram, everything. And great. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. The last thing, are you, we were going to do the Dresden Dolls. What's going on? Oh, yes, of course. And sorry, so, so the Dresden Dolls. So um, I just spoke to Amanda yesterday on the phone at length. And, you know, both of us are extremely excited to get back to work. We started talking about making a new record in 2016 when we were doing the shows at Coney Island and in, in Boston and stuff like that. And just time and schedules and like all the sort of ins and outs like, that we need to kind of get in order. Yeah. You know, in our record contract is like 17 years old or something like that. At this point, it's just like ancient horse and buggy contracts. It's like, you know, like the butter churn clause needs to be taken out. It's just stupid. It's, you know what I mean? So there's a lot, but yet we still owe road records contractually another four Dresden dolls records which I'm fine with. We signed a seven album deal, which like a lot of bands did. We were a new band. Right. We licensed them our first record and then we released another two. Yeah. And then, so sure. now we still owe them another four, which I was, when I signed that contract with the man, I was like, goal, 10 records. I don't fucking care. Like Dresden Dolls is my life. Let's do this shit. I'm, I'm like in this for life. Like seven albums, cool. When's the next, you know, tour? Like, let's get going. So to me, I'm like, not a big deal. A lot of people balk at that and go like, oh my God, but. I, I'm ready to go. I would love to record album, another. You can do like Frank Zappa did and do a great long album, just break it apart. <laughs> just whatever. You <laughs> know what I mean? No, no, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, definitely. But like, I also was like undaunted at the time too, because I also felt and saw in real time the effect that Roadrunner was having on the band's spread and the amount of kids that were getting turned on to the Dresden Dolls because of the promotion. And I was really thankful and happy about that. I know that a lot of sort of media coverage around Amanda was about like the sort of negative facets of Roadrunner and this and, and all that kind of shit. But I mean, there, there were so many dedicated people on that staff, on that street team. And I mean, like kids, in random ass towns all over the world, like on little Roadrunner freebie street teams that like helped promote the Dresden Dolls. So when we do another record, if it's for Roadrunner and that all works out, 
fine. If Roadrunner drops us because they don't have the funds or they don't want to give us the big, you know, record advance or whatever like that, fine. We have plenty of infrastructure at this point to release a new record, but there's still a lot of writing to do. So the main thing that Amanda was saying to me was like, I just haven't had the time. And she's now stuck in New Zealand since last March because, because of COVID now the whole Delta variant bullshit, blah, 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 blah. All the country, like countries are locking down. There's this and that. It's just always like the ebb and flow. A friend of mine's sister who works at the CDC basically said they're looking at summer of 2022 as like, hopefully, so another year, but I'm sort of unbothered at this point, like as much as I would love to see things happen, Amanda and I, you know, as I sort of like a desire to like connect with our fans, we'll do as much as we possibly can from this great distance. You know, we, in this short time too, I recorded tracks for one of her records. She did a um, Bushfire Relief album where she did a couple of songs uh, by um, Midnight Oil, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, We did a Muppet movie cover um, of uh, I'm Going to Go Back There Someday, which Gonzo sings. That was also a charity event, um, uh, which we donated the proceeds to for frontline workers and stuff like that. And, you know, around Halloween last year, uh, amidst when I was doing, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show live stream with Tim Curry and all of that, which was like insane. Amanda and I got together for like a sort of 20th anniversary um, sort of celebration and did an online thing. So at best, if we're not able to actually get together and do shows, which we might, if I can get to New Zealand at some point in the next like four to five months, we'll at least do something online around Halloween. You know what I mean? Just to, like, I, I just think the fact friends. that you guys are at a point now where, you know, you guys are together and there's ebb and flow and when it, when it works at the right time for you both, Dres and Dells will do something. And then when life changes for both you guys are on the same page, it just changes. It doesn't end. That's a band that should always exist when it's right and never yep. break up because of, you know, bah. It, it should just take breaks because and that, that's, that's what more of the question. So what's up with are you? So you guys are on a point where, creative you know the, the creative juices are going and moving forward that's that, that's all anyone can ask for yeah forward. absolutely definitely you know what i mean you know i stepped away from the band in 2007 for several damn good reasons right. which are pretty much all public <laughs> and i was like so far, right? everyone was exhausted Amanda and I were like not getting along well. And it basically had like sort of like toxified the thing. And I was like, this is just going to destroy itself. And that's stupid. So right. I'm going well, to stop. Yeah, that's if what no I'm saying to you. Like stop. that stuff out there. And, and, but as a person, as a fan, like saying, yeah, you know, to me, the takeaway is you're in a good spot. She's been really yeah. busy in a good spot. And, and now yep. everyone can kind of come back and go, yeah, let's do this when we got time. Because when we do it right, yeah. it's, it's a great creative force. You do it Completely. right. And, it and now the man is, is not a cookie cutter band, so it's got to be at its best when it's a creative force. Otherwise, you guys can't. It's not a band where you can kind of put out a good rock album like like the one before, because that's not the kind of band you are. Sure, you guys are you know moving that, forward. That just needed. Yeah, you can't right. take it exactly too. And we also don't have to do things in such a crazy. I mean, there was like a real pressure cooker element too, because you know it's like like any band who's like kind of like getting more and more famous and exposure and whatever, and the momentum is going. You want to capitalize on the moment while the you know struggle there. Are there rules are too, though. Back then, every band, even no matter what genre you in, there was rules and. It's different, you know. But, but what I'm saying is that was that like is that now we're actually afforded the ability to tour in a more humane schedule. 
there's like not, and that's the position that um, Violent Femmes were in when I joined them too. Both Brian and Gordon were a little bit like, is it going to be like the nineties where it's like scary and oppressive schedule wise. And it's like, ah, and there's like 9 million people telling us like what to do every minute of the day. And it's, you know, it was not like that at all too. And now Amanda and I have fortunately kind of made, made it to that point too, where we can kind of decide um, one of Amanda's main concerns for herself is like childcare. She's th- trying to think like, what am I going to do when I go on tour? With my- but, you know, there's people and it's amazing to see how many bands, even like the old school, like punk bands that are out there that all have kids and they go off and do tours and summer festivals and stuff like that. So where there's a will, there's a way. And Dresden Dolls will definitely yeah, the, come the, the rock bands now look like family vacation bands. It's kind of awesome, actually. Actually, on a new level because it's just it's healthier, yeah. yep. you know, because the bands are everyone's feeling better about being on the road and being together and creative and, you know, not just whatever was going on before yeah you know so it's good so there's hope man so we'll be, we'll be doing lots of stuff too so that's my main message to people out there too like during all this lockdown stuff get your resources together stay positive and do something meaningful to yourself don't blame and pout and moan about like the situation bad stuff is happening all the time you can focus on that but if you can see what redeeming and wonderful things you do have around you to make something important to you happen and they get the gumption up, get off your asses and like, let's go do something. Because now that I'm seeing more and more of my friends get involved like that, everyone's kind of going like, oh, I've actually, I'm feeling I'm in such a good mood. And taking the agency over your own life, even in these crazy times where like COVID and all that stuff is completely unpredictable. The worst thing that you can do is get in a headspace where you just feel totally powerless. Do you know what I mean? So do- I do. It's hard. You watch and you watch people and then you hear other people doing it. So even if you feel okay about it, yeah, the, the oppression of other people doing it. Yeah, you know, just keeps piling on. It's hard to be that one strong. Yeah, you know, but there, but there, but there are many. Then we are we are great in number, and so it's just about finding those people. And then that's the beautiful thing is that ripple effect. Man, you find one crazed motherfucker that just doesn't give a shit. Who goes like, I don't care. I'm doing this thing anyway. Come on, are you with me or no? And then you get. I saw it. I was see it happen with Radiator King. It was like, get out of here. Let's make shit happen. It's how you have to look at it. That's the strongest thing that I learned from like DIY punk thing. I remember my mom going like, "What is that crazy noise?" I used to listen to that Minor Threat live at the Nine Thirty Club yeah. thing, and she's like, "What are you even listening to?" And I was like, I'm, "If I just had the like, you don't even know the important messages that are coming through this music and like the actions of these people where the world was against them. They felt like there was no point, like." No kind of career or whatever like that was ever going to manifest out of that. But yet the lesson from like, you will be amazed at how much you can actually do for yourself, especially if you find a like-minded friend that you get out there. And before you know it, the situation that you thought totally sucked is actually not that bad anymore. And maybe you might even have like a drop of fun along the way. Good to say it better. Or with that energy, not without medication. Well, that's all right. Coffee helps. <laughs> I only had a half a cup today, so you, you have me on that one. This is, I need to go get some more. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you, you so much you for having me, man. Super great. I'll have you back another time. We have more stuff going on. All, all of your shows, all of your links, everything you have, people can check it right underneath the video. Support him on all his projects. So you are taking out, you, you are up for more projects if people reach out to you for drumming or anything yeah, else. Yeah, right, absolutely. So you guys heard it. You betcha. Thank you so much for having me today, brother. All right, man. I want to thank you. You have a good day. Yeah. You too. Okay.